my husband and I were early EV adopters. We got our first one in 2014 when the uh, range was, I think, on that vehicle was under 90 miles. Um, and so we lived out range anxiety and dealing with all of the charger issues. And honestly, it was like, oh, wow, this is the solution that I would have liked to have had even back then with that first one. And certainly as we're uh, dealing with more powerful vehicles today. So the mission made a lot of sense. Um, one of the things that I hear a lot from people when I say, oh, yeah, you know, wireless charging for EVs is the, oh, come on how hard is it to plug in a car? Um, and so I asked people, do you still get up and cross the living room to change the channel on your TV? Or do you still hang out in the kitchen when you wanna talk on the phone because the phone is attached to the wall in the kitchen? And no, because things that can go wireless do. And, and this is really the next frontier. That's cool. So whenever you join Wetristy, you probably talk with some friends who are outside the industry. Are those, is that similar to the conversation you have with them as, is they're saying, so, you know, why, why do we need this? Or were they, or was it a mixture of excitement of like, Oh gosh, this would be great. I mean, what, what were those conversations like with people? Yeah. So, well, here in Silicon Valley where you can't throw a rock without hitting an EV, generally speaking, people are like, Oh, that is really cool. Um, the why why bothers came more from fence and family who are in the Midwest or in places where EVs haven't really penetrated yet. And the charging for EVs is kind of stacked up behind the why EV and it doesn't go far enough and a whole bunch of, of um, the perceptions and, and misconceptions around electric vehicles that still persist. Yeah. I mean, the first time I, I saw the technology, it made just a ton of sense for me because, you know, if you get used to plugging your phone in and then all of a sudden one day you can just lay it on this device that charges it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that helpful until you experience it. And you're like, Oh, I don't want to go right. back. Right. No, that's it, it's, you know, I, I think about that every day because I come in and I sit down at my, my desk here at home and I throw my phone on this wireless charger thing. Um, I'm like, that's just the way it should work. There's no, no hassle. Um, but it, it is important with, um, by Tristy's technology, there are related technologies to the wireless charging that you use for your phone, but you probably know that if you lay your phone down, not quite right, it doesn't necessarily charge because those, um, those pieces need to be very tightly aligned and almost, if not touching, um, the technology we use for wireless charging for cars is different. So it actually operates over an air gap and is just as efficient as plugging in, which people always say, that can't be, how is that possible? Um, and in fact, it, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty astounding. I mean, I think you would assume, oh, that, that must be a slower way to charge or things like that. But the fact that it can charge the same pace, it, I mean, it really is amazing. It, it, um, one of the things that my family has gotten used to um, being around me all these years is that when I started a new company or I start working on something new, um, dinner becomes a podcast with Amy, where we learn about all of the technologies. So when I worked in um, 
unified communications, everybody got to learn everything I learned about sound canceling technology and noise canceling technology and all of that good stuff. Um, now they've learned about the uh, science behind magnetic resonance and why that is just as efficient. Um, the short answer, of course, is that any kind of charging um, loses efficiency mostly due to heat. And when you plug in a car, there is a piece of technology in the vehicle um, that is basically an isolation chamber that kind of protects everything from blowing up, if you will. Um, we don't need the isolation chamber in um, the wireless charging because of that air gap that effectively operates as that isolation chamber. So they have the same efficiency. That's really cool. Yeah, I did not know that. I mean, I, I would, I guess, I would have probably used like Wi-Fi or something signal as like is like the analogy. But it, it, you're saying that uh, uh, just because there's a direct connection doesn't mean that there's not like friction of heat or that type of thing. That, that's that's interesting. So this this technology has been around for a while, um, and there's been a long path to kind of get to where you're at today. What what would you say are some of the kind of milestones? leading up to today and what do you what do you see as uh, you know what your team is working on next yeah so uh, uh, the technology was invented in the early 2000s at MIT and the company was spun out of MIT uh, in 2007 to find a way to commercialize the invention um, and so a lot of work was done uh, with different kinds of prototypes and different kinds of application medical consumer electronics uh, we did a a pilot that helped to sell more uh, razor blades. I'm like it's crazy stuff, you know. That and really um, happily, the rise of the EVs happened at the same time as we were really maturing our understanding and and how to bring this to market. And really, the key thing that enables automotive applications are standards, right? Nobody wants to sell a car that has a bespoke charger, although God bless Tesla, they've done that <laughs> um, and, and are kind of unique in that regard. But the charging for EVs is already complicated because there are three uh, core buying standards that um, depending on where you are in the world and depending on what vehicle you have, you have one of different chargers and the industry doesn't really like that. So um, in 2020, uh, well, much earlier we started, but in 2020, uh, the standard for wireless charging for automotive was ratified by the Society of Automotive Engineers. And that was really a landmark opportunity because that meant that the um, automakers could put it in their cars knowing that whether you bought the charger from here, there, or there, it was gonna work, it was gonna charge your car. Um, now you say, okay, 2020, what year is it now? Um, automotive years, kind of like dog years, um, it doesn't move very fast. So um, that's like a eye blink. And it's, it's really now starting to um, take off. So there's a number of automakers who are actively involved in getting wireless charging into production. Um, most of which we can't talk about, of course. Uh, but uh, we did see it launch last year in Korea and the Genesis GB60, which is a beautiful car. If you haven't driven one, I really encourage you to. It's, it's just a great car. Um, 
in Korea has is available with the wireless charging. So if you want to experience it, fly to Seoul, go to the Lati uh, car rental facility, and you can rent one and drive it and park it and see how it charges wirelessly if you like. So getting that standard put uh, in place was really key. Um, and now the, the key step is really uh, working with the automakers and making it as simple as possible to integrate the technology into the cars. What would you say the awareness level is among OEMs, the car makers on, on this? And where would you say it is with everyday consumers who are you know, in market for a car? Are, are they aware this technology exists or is it like when they see it for the first, it's just now they're maybe seeing it for the first time. Where would yeah. you say that's at? So within the automotive uh, community on the technical side, there is generally very broad awareness um, because we've been talking to them for a while. Um, not necessarily as broad awareness on the uh, kind of the business side of the house. So that's where we as, as, as marketers are really focusing our time and attention um, to drive that awareness because the automotive uh, decision-making happens, they, they're looking for demand signal. Right, so we have to educate them about that, which leads to your question about consumers. And generally speaking, you can't have a demand signal for something if you don't know it exists. And most consumers don't know that it exists. So we're doing a lot of effort um, with uh, road shows. You know, we are uh, we in December we went to Detroit with one of our vehicles and a charger and invited the. Tesla Owners Association and the EV Owners Associations and a bunch of other consumer groups come in, drive it, see it, you know, park it, and they were thrilled. Um, at that particular gathering, we had uh, ages three to uh, eighty, and I don't know who was more excited about the the technology among those age groups. That's cool. Well, Amy, the, I will tell you from my perspective, and I assume you share a similar perspective, I think it would be easy for someone who's new to it and seen it like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, I understand that this is easier for people. Um, when I look at it, I, I see, yeah, it's easier. And that might be the initial appeal that it takes out, you know, a, a to do basically something to think about. But to me, it's like an obvious step on the way towards um more energy efficiency, being able to charge at the right times versus just when you happen to be there to plug it in. And when we, as we move towards autonomous vehicles, like this is going to be an absolutely necessary step, right? Like it, yeah. you just need to, the transfer of power needs to be easy and passive basically. Right. So, and I know your team is thinking that way, but is that part of how you communicate this to people? Or are we just kind of purely at the ease of use point right now? So we, we do talk about ease of use and convenience, but there are um, significant advantages beyond that. So one of, one of them is accessibility. And uh, we went out to Columbus, Ohio to talk to uh, a guy named Darcy Neal, who is an advocate for people with disabilities. He himself has cerebral palsy and he demonstrated to us what it is like for him to charge his car, which often literally means he has to crawl to the charger. And it's not just that the charger itself is often inaccessible either behind bollards or uh, curbs to protect them from being you know, run over, um, but the angle to seat the charger in the car is designed for an average male height as well. 
So if you vary from that, that angle can often be awkward and the plugging in and unplugging um, awkward. So for people with disabilities, if you can drive, you can charge, right? That, that is a very simple story. Um, there are elements around safety and security. Uh, today, public chargers are often in places best described as dodgy and uh, you don't really want to get out of your car. Well, it's, it's wireless, you don't have to. You can complete whatever uh, payment system or whatever on your phone um, and just park and charge. And, and that's a nice story. Uh, but beyond that, there are significant advantages to the grid, um, to allowing for smaller batteries. You know, we used to talk about um, pervasive computing or ubiquitous computing, which basically, you know, the cloud and devices you know, it's everywhere, you know, you've got Alexa, you've got Google, you've got your phones, you've got everything is all connected. And we really are looking for a world where there is pervasive charging. So today, if um, you are going to the mall to run into Nordstrom for 15 minutes, you won't charge because it's too much of a hassle for a short trip. But if all you have to do is park, sure, you would park there, get a little snack and go on. So in a world where wireless charging takes that friction out of the charging, you can be getting little snacks all day long as you're going about your normal business, which means kind of a virtually limitless range. That means batteries in cars can be smaller, that's less lithium that's being used, that's lower demands on the grid because it can charge at a lower rate over a longer period of, of time. Um, and that's just all goodness. I think one of the, the traps that we've fallen into, uh, which is just human nature, is we keep saying, you know, EVs are never going to take off until they can charge as fast as we can refuel at the pump. Okay, well, I don't have gas in my garage, but I have electricity. So why do I need to make charging a chore, right? Why can't it just be something that happens in the background. And I think that's the paradigm shift that, that we're really envisioning for the future. Yeah, I think for anybody who's an EV owner, you've touched on a couple pain points that you're resolving. And for anybody who's not an EV owner, it seems like you're touching on the things that are preventing them from becoming an EV owner, right? Yeah, you know, we've done, as, as you would expect, we've done a lot of research um, with consumers, both uh, people who own EVs today and people who are planning to get one or are kind of considering them. And when you put wireless charging in the mix, uh, that likelihood to purchase goes up by almost 70% um, among those least likely to want one because it really does uh, take the friction is, is the word I keep coming back to. Uh, I will also point out given that uh, it is you know, the dead of winter in much of uh, the Northern hemisphere, uh, snow is not kind to chargers as a general rule. They can get frozen in. Who wants to deal with that? Uh, wireless charging can be uh, flush in ground. It doesn't recognize snow, rain. It's invisible to all of that. And so um, the snowplow can meet its match. Um, we can save the chargers during the winter and continue to use them regardless of what else is going on. Oh, wow. You just sold me right there because <laughs> nobody wants to get out and pump gas whenever it's zero degrees outside. It's like the most, uh, you dread that stuff. 
That's right. That's right. Pump gas or charge or anything outside the vehicle. Yeah, that's a good one. Who are of the of the people who are sort of like early adopters on this technology? What whether it's OEMs or or consumers who have access to it right now? What what was it that drew them to it? What are the what are the kind of the feedback you hear? And are there people who are sort of skeptical who've now bought in? And what are the reasons that they're now coming along? Right. Um, so there are certainly skeptics that, you know, that like seriously, how hard. Um, and one of one of the, the anecdotes that I, I often share is shortly after I joined Vitricity, I was talking to a reporter in the EV space and he was giving me the, oh, come on, how hard is it? We talked a little bit, hung up and he called me back an hour later. His wife had come home and he asked her, had she plugged in the car? She said, no. And then went into this rant about how the reason she hadn't was because when he's the last one to use it, he plugs it all the way back into the wall charger, which makes it that much more difficult because now she has to unplug it to go and plug it. Whereas when she's the last one to use it, she just lays the cord across the top. So you just grab it and plug. And so he called me, I was like, all right, you're right. I never even thought about this was, you know, an issue, let alone something that was endangering my marriage. So um, I think that you don't realize how those little annoyances start to uh, pile on top of each other. Um, you don't think about when you come home and you're getting out of the car, you've got your arms full of, you know, whatever, um, to actually have to go back to plug in can be something you forget. Um, and in, in a world where we're looking forward to uh, using the great batteries in our EVs to help stabilize the grid, um, that kind of vehicle to grid, vehicle to home technology only works if you're plugged in. So if you are just parked and you don't have to worry about that, there's a lot of things that can, can happen automatically. So the, the consumers that have seen it are just wild. And um, we've, we've seen now uh, it being applied with autonomous shuttle buses. And so you can see this autonomous shuttle bus in China uh, go about its business and then go back to the depot and park and it charges. So autonomy can only become really autonomy when you don't have to have that human intervention to plug it in. Yeah. Well, so you're, you're teasing this a little bit. I mean, where do you see this going? Where do you see that this product uh, playing a role and, and what would be kind of like your forecast in terms of the implications of it, maybe the speed, to which, you know, everyday EV owners can expect to, you know, have this as an option on, on cars or as part of the infrastructure, like what would be your forecast right now? Yeah. So we, we expect, um, as, as is the case with, with most new technologies that comes to automotive, it goes in at the high end. And so there are uh, third-party projections that show significant growth of wireless charging, starting with premium vehicles and then making its way down. By the end of this decade, it will be pervasive. Um, but we also see it's not just a consumer solution. So if you think about uh, municipal depot, so there's all kinds of municipal vehicles that run around all day um, doing various sorts of things. 
the city of Oakland is a great example. They've been an early adopter of electric vehicles and they use them. They come back to the depot, they charge at night. Well, if you have to plug those vehicles in, then somebody has to remember um, how many chargers do you have to have installed? You know, is there jockeying that goes around? And there's space because you have to have a certain amount of space around each of those chargers um, for both OSHA rules and to maneuver. Well, now if you have wireless charging, you can shrink the amount of space that is required. So you can get a denser pack for recharging. Um, it can just, again, be automatic. People don't have to think about it. You just park. And you don't have to have those stanchions or bollards. All of that electrical equipment can be off to the side in a cabinet. It can be concealed in a planter. It could be buried underground. So um, there's a lot of advantages for the operations of fleets. There's also advantages from a um, how pretty is my city point of view where you don't have to have a lot of things that become visual pollution as well. So I think we'll start to see uh, passenger vehicles and um, uh, fleet vehicles first, um, higher power solutions for buses, semi-trucks, port equipment. There's a lot of applications there that make a lot of sense as well. And we'll start to see that coming again over the next couple of years. Thank you.